The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Welcome to this first edition of Wildcatter. I'm Peter Strachan, and today we have the pleasure of uh, talking with uh, Warrigo's Chief Executive Officer and Managing Director, Dennis Donald. Now, Warrigo's a, a new entrant onto the Australian Stock Exchange. It came via a reverse taker of a pre-existing company called Petrel, and Petrel was uh, restructured and uh, refinanced and uh, it gained the benefit of the management and uh, new board refreshed. And it also came bringing with it a, uh, a 50% farmed out interest in EP469, which is the permit uh, which is currently drilling the West Eregala well. And uh, Strike Energy had agreed to earn a 50% interest in that permit uh, late in 2018 and uh, they paid an upfront fee and they agreed to pay the first $11 million of costs associated uh, with this well, which has been quite successful so far, according to the uh, the reports that we've had. So that's a, a bit of background on where we are with uh, West uh, Eregala and also the, the birth, if you like, of uh, Warrigo Energy. And uh, what I'd like to do now is just to welcome Dennis uh, to the podcast Hi, Peter. and uh, and also to ask him about the journey that he took because having demobilised from the um, UK military in the 70s, he ended up on a drilling rig in the North Sea just at the time when you know Britain was a booming oil and gas producer and developer. And uh, I think listeners will be very interested to know about Dennis's journey from an oil rig in the North Sea uh, all the way across the world to the Perth Basin. Yes, it's um, it's been an interesting journey for sure. Um, as we generally go about the market, we are often asked how a couple of um, vertically challenged Scottish types have ended up in the North Perth Basin. So in, in a very summarised form, uh, what I would say is um, I worked for Shell in the North Sea for many years, but all my heroes were actually entrepreneurs. So I had the usual midlife crisis and decided that I would form my own business and strike out on my own. And what I did is I formed a consultancy firm called Leading Edge. And when I formed the firm, I took on two business partners, uh, Duncan McNiven, who's with me now in Warrigal, and uh, Ian Lusted. Ian Lusted is now um, the MD of... Um, Australis and a very successful man in his own right. So we built the uh, consultancy firm up called Leading Edge and we worked all over the world. And what we specialized in is the, the more esoteric side of the drilling business. So under balance drilling, coil tubing drilling through tubing rotary drilling. And as we built that consultancy up, we were invited to work in the Cooper Basin and we had eight guys working out of Adelaide. And of course, I traveled to Australia quite a lot in, in, uh, as we progressed the business. And I actually fell in love with Australia. It's, it's a wonderful place. Uh, Duncan and I's ambition was always to become an operator at some point. 
Uh, we did a couple of asset deals in um, the North Sea and sort of cut our teeth on them. And then because we were quite successful in the Cooper Basin and um, the operators advertised the fact that we'd been instrumental in turning around some of their assets, we were invited by the West Australian government. At that time, the oil and gas was headed up by a, a gentleman called Bill Tinapple. So we went to see him and he said, guys, if you want to become an operator, why don't you bid for this block in the Perth Basin, EP469? What we want to do is attract European money and European know-how. It didn't take us long to decide that that's exactly what we would do. And because Bill, because Bill's a sort of six foot two guy and he was towering over you, you thought you better take his advice. Yes, and and also because of the respect that we had for Bill and his knowledge, not only of the Perth Basin but the oil and gas industry. So uh, what happened then, Peter, is we bid for Block Four Six Nine at the end of two thousand and seven, and we we were successful. Um, at that time, prior to the global financial meltdown, you could actually um, raise money. So we won the bid purely on technical merit. So after after we'd won the the um, the bid to acquire the block, um, we came into two thousand and eight, and obviously the world fell over in two thousand and eight with the global financial me- meltdown. So Ian Duncan and I looked at each other and said, "What are we going to do?" Ian, who'd relocated to Australia by then, went off and um, had other adventures. Duncan and I sold our consultancy firm, formed Warrigo, and um, elected to put all our energies into developing the block in the Perth Basin and to weather out the global financial meltdown. So the big turning point, I'd say, was probably getting the 3D seismic done. And that's uh, and also, whilst you were holding on to it, uh, as, you, as we ran into the the oil slump in 2015, uh, your neighbours there, which was Origin and AWE at the time, made the uh, massive discovery of the uh, Waitsia gas discovery. So that must have uh, heartened you a bit and uh, and encouraged you to, to get the 3D seismic over your permit. Yeah, absolutely right, Peter. So what actually happened was when we'd acquired the block in 2008, we um, raised some money from uh, Scottish high net worth individuals that showed faith in us and allowed us to do the necessary technical work to attract two Dutch groups in who farmed in and who actually paid for the seismic. So we shot this 3D seismic at the end of 2014. We did the farm out with the Dutch group in 2013. Shot it at the end of 2014, reprocessed it, the seismic and interpret it in 2015, and we were absolutely delighted. Quality of the seismic was excellent. We used a fairly new um, technique, the, the nodal seismic technique, and we were delighted. And then we were hit with oil price crash, and our two Dutch partners, because they had um, investments in some very big fields, decided that they wouldn't continue. So we didn't then have the money to drill the appraisal well, but what we did is we acquired 100% of the block back. Excellent news for you, and as it turned out. Yes, indeed. So as we acquired the, the, the block back, and then we were in a similar situation where, you know, we had to put our houses on the line to keep the thing going, and, you know, we hadn't been paid for a little while. But as you correctly say, the good people in AWE found the weight to your field, and as they drilled their delineation wells, they got closer and closer to us. 
Waitsea 4, which is the most prolific flow rate in the history of Australia, was some 16 kilometers away. And that allowed us to go and seek other partners and other funding. And obviously, if um, AW hadn't have found that, then it would have been very hard times for us. Yeah. So you've attracted uh, Strike, who've um, earned their 50% by paying the first $11 million of the, the drilling costs. And the well, how has the well gone um, from your point of view? Strike have done a grand job. It's the deepest well ever drilled in in uh, in uh, onshore Australia. Um, they've broken new ground on a number of fronts. Um, they've drilled into new substrates nobody else has done. And um, it's a fantastic result to get to wh- where they've got to now. So um, given that the uh, the stock is actually in a trading halt as we speak, uh, what can you tell us about the uh, upper Wajina zone and the, uh, the Kingia zones that have been reported so far? Okay, so in summary, what I would say there is as we were drilling through the Wajina, we had the, the happy occasion of found, finding a large... Um, gas body. We believe that gas body to be conventional and we believe the resource to be significant. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't log the basal wadgina for various reasons to do with the whole geometry and the, and the fact that we pumped pretty heavy mud in there. Um, but looking at the logs that we did get, we believe that we have a significant conventional resource, gas resource. Um, if you look on the web, you'll see that some of the um, Analysts are putting a figure of 250 bees of gas. But as we say, we can't confirm that because we didn't manage to get the logs. And we took the decision um, that we would uh, case the well off and uh, defend the well bore and continue with the drilling of the, um, of the king. Will you be able to log that zone through the casing at a later date? No, I don't believe that we will, unfortunately, because it's currently behind two casings. So that's that's going to be restrictive for us. Okay. So to go down to the Kenya, um, to give you a comparison of how, how good that is, if I compare it to Waitsear 4, I believe that Waitsear 4 had 42 meters uh, of sand body. And of that sand body, 21 meters was gas charged. And what we've discovered is we have a 97 meter sand body and 40 meters of that is gas charged. So the comparing it in, in that fashion, we, we absolutely believe that we have a significant resource there. So when you say gas charged, you're talking about um, um, sediments that are, would, would be considered to be net pay? Yes, sir. Because of their porosity and permeability characteristics? Exactly. So we've managed to, managed to acquire the sand samples at surface. We've managed to log it. We're currently doing a, a second log, um, and we're, we are confident that that second log will confirm that the porosity and the permeability are the same as or slightly better than that discovered in Waitsea 4. And the Waitsea wells, as you correctly say, flowed on test uh, uh, between 25 million cubic feet a day and as much as 90 million cubic feet a day. So if you've got similar characteristics there, or even better, then it's going to be very interesting to see how that uh, those zones uh, uh, will flow uh, when they're tested. Yeah, exactly. Um, what I would say is that obviously as AWE gained more knowledge, um, the configuration of their tubing went up 
Um, so I think the last tubing that they ran on uh, weights here for was, I think it was as, as, as high as four and a half. Mm. Um, we've got slightly smaller tubing for, um, for uh, various reasons. Um, but we believe comparably we will get the same sort of flow rates. Um, may not be a, as high as 90 because of the, 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 the um, internal diameter of the tubing. But in terms of resource and in, in terms of being able to deliver a commercial, a good commercial volume of gas, we are very, very confident we'll be able to do that. Dennis, um, I've had a little bit to do with the Perth Basin over the years, and it's always the geologists I speak to uh, always feel that the field, that somehow or other the basin was missing a couple of deposits. I mean, the, the first big discovery there was Dongara, a big gas field in 1966, which actually formed the basis for West Australia's gas uh, development in the uh, Parmelia pipeline, which brought that gas down to Perth, which so the gas could be reticulated. Then there was Bahara Springs, and then a, a couple of small oil discoveries at Hovia Jingamaya. Of course, we had the Cliffhead offshore, which was initially, I think, thought to be 15 million barrels and turns out to be more like 19 million barrels of oil. And then a couple of interesting-looking gas discoveries at Redback and Tarantula. But there was a big gap in the – because normally you get some sort of a distribution that you can map, and normally there's a couple of big fields, a couple of modest, medium-sized fields, and then lots of smaller fields. And the Perth Basin seemed to sort of lack uh, that spread of – of uh, field size and it was always thought that there would be more discoveries made and it seems with uh, the discovery of uh, weights here which is just over 800 billion cubic feet of gas and West Erigala which was had a pre-drill estimate of just over 900 billion cubic feet of gas at the at the um, the sort of p2 level if you like the undiscovered prospective resources um, that we're now starting to fill in the Perth Basin and we're, uh, we're sort of learning more about the geology. And I think it's probably down to the uh, application of 3D seismic, which wasn't really all that readily available, even, uh, you know, certainly before the last 15 or 20 years. Yeah, it's a very good point that you make. Um, what I'd also remind you is directly after uh, West Aragala 2 is completed, um, Beach will pick up the um, eastern well rig and they'll drill um, Bahara Springs deep. Um, you, you may have noticed that in some of the newspaper there's an interesting thesis being discussed in general that um, if if you look at um, uh, weights here, you look at our well, you look at the Bahara Springs Deep. If you had one of the big operators and they had the bottom hole data from the three wells, then they would be looking at a full field model and they'd be triangulating what the, the rock volume is between the three locations. And uh, as you've alluded to in your previous comment, you may have a very, very significant resource there. And the thesis that I've read in a couple of the pieces in the paper is, well, if you develop in the Northwest Shelf, and we understand that, um, why that's going ahead. But why wouldn't you turn your attention to the Perth Basin then? Yeah, the molecules are a lot closer to Perth and to the market than they are in the Northwest Shelf. Well, exactly. And if you're drilling wells that can deliver that sort of rate and that sort of volume, it, it, it's, it's an interesting thing to, uh, to explore, I would say. 
So, Dennis, so where do we go now with the, uh, well, the, the logging will be done now that it's uh, TD'd and after that uh, you're planning flow testing? Yes, so we'll, uh, we'll um, set the, the, the case in, uh, the, the, the lower liner, um, we'll complete the well, uh, we'll rig off, uh, uh, take the rig off. And bring and, in uh, your favourite tool, the, uh, the downhole uh, uh, coil tubing to do the testing. Yes, we'll be we'll be uh, testing. Uh, we'll we'll be rigging up the um, the testing equipment. And um, so, once you have that information, uh, would you be planning appraisal drilling on the on the field? Um, yeah, we're we're discussing this with our partners, Strike, at the moment, and um, what the the tentative plan would be would be to shoot the remaining two thirds of the block that hasn't been shot by seismic. We've only shot one third. Uh, once we've done that, then we would look to uh, potentially drill a further two appraisal delineation wells. That, that, that's that's what's been discussed at the moment. And uh, separately, uh, Warrigo and Strike would uh, would seek to raise funds to do that, or would you bring in a, a third funding partner, or how do you think you might play that going forward? Um, what I would say on that is we've got a number of options and depending on where we get to uh, for the plans for the next two years, then the, the, the requisite options will be explored. I, I think that's possibly the, the right thing to say. Yes, I think that's fair enough. And of course, um, your partners, your uh, peers in the in the basin now are, in fact, Beach Energy, who took over uh, the interests of, um, of uh, Origin when they bought uh, uh, the lattice business and caught Mitsubishi ended up uh, buying AWE. So um, they're nice peers to have in, in the marketplace. And so the other thing that everyone talks about, of course, is the price of gas in Western Australia. It's, uh, you know, $4. There's plenty of gas at, that you can buy now at $4.50 a gigajoule. It's not the sort of 9 to $10 a gigajoule that you're seeing on the uh, East Coast. So uh, what's your understanding of the market? going forward uh, for gas in Western Australia? Well, that's true. But then the macro aspects of the market are not known. What I mean by that is, um, depending on who you talk to, there is an opinion on whether, whether browse will come in at a certain point or indeed come in at all. Um, if there is a shortfall in the Northwest shelf gas, um, we will be well positioned to meet that shortfall. And I think the gas price is about four and a half dollars uh, gigajoule at the moment. And what we would say is the gas that we have is unencumbered by a acquisition cost. So we do not have a cost of acquisition. What we can also do if we're entering the domestic market is we can do it in a in a measured um, way. And what I mean by that is smelling, selling um, small tranches of gas, maybe 20 um 20 TJs, um, building a small plant, and then building up from there. Um, but the big thing for us is we do not have the cost of acquisition to bear on our gas. Yeah, that's right. And also you have the possibility of attracting a, a purpose-built customer who might want to use that gas over the long term. Well, exactly. And um, our, our partners, Strike, um, have already... Um, contracted some of their gas. So that demonstrates that, that gas can be put into the market. And there's other opportunities of perhaps discussing with um, other players in the basin 
of, of doing something joint with them. Fantastic. Uh, just finally, Dennis, uh, is there anything you'd like to add on the other assets that you inherited in Spain and in Uruguay? Yeah, so the, the great thing about uh, doing an RTO with Petrel, as well as gaining the assets, um, we gained some fantastic guys um, in, in Petrel and Ian Kirkham and Dave Casey, who, who understand the market and are brilliant people to work with, and all the background uh, uh, team in, in Sydney. And we also acquired assets in Uruguay and Spain. We're very, very excited about Spain. Um, we're busy advancing that. Um, Uruguay is a bit of a problem child, to be perfectly frank. And currently, we're not putting a great deal of energy into into Uruguay. But the the Spanish opportunity is 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 excellent. Um, we're waiting for the Spanish uh, people to uh, choose a government, and when that happens, we will be advancing uh, our adventures in Spain. But we're quite far down the line there. That's right, and I think the the Spanish uh, basins are somewhat analogous to the the permits to the south offshore of Mauritania, where there's been quite considerable discoveries of both oil and gas. So the geology uh, runs across and into the European continent. Absolutely, and where we sit, uh, we had a, um, a well drilled in 1950 when the technologies and the techniques were poor. Um, we absolutely believe we can drill this and have um, commercial flows of gas. We're four kilometers from the biggest interconnector in Europe. Um, so actually tying it to that pipeline will not be difficult at all. And if you know anything about the European gas market, it's screaming for gas. I mean, I, I think I'll be correct in saying it's comparable to the East Coast at about $10, $10 a gigajoule. Um, so we, we would have no problem selling the gas once we've successfully got it to surface and connecting into the pipeline is no problem at all. Well, Dennis, exciting times indeed for Warrigo Energy and uh, we will look forward with abated breath uh, to the announcements coming out from the uh, West Erigala well and we'll hope to see you back on Wildcatter in a couple of weeks or a month or so and we can talk some more about uh, what the implications for all of this work will be on the company going forward so thanks for your time today no thank you for your time thank you very much